Thank you, Lord. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. I won't, there's no way I'll be able to finish this today, but I want to give you some highlights of this message. 2 Samuel is uh, it's a chapter that probably you have read many, many times. We've preached about it several times. <clears throat> but I want to look at it one more time. And I've just entitled this message, Worshiping <clears throat> in the Presence of God. That's what we've been doing. God knew exactly what was fixing to take place this morning. And I want you to listen. I want you to listen to close to some history first. I'm going to try to sort of lay some, some ground rules. Not, it, that's, not a, that's not the right word, but a base for us to, to go from. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, what you'll notice is that you'll, you'll find that King David is there. And David is in the process of bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. It's home. It's rightful place. And basically what he's doing is bringing the presence of God back home. I was interested in, in, in praying with, with the people this morning. There was two or three folks that said something like this, that I just want to sense God's presence. I'm tired of the way I've been feeling. Have you ever been there? We all understand that, that phrase where... We're tired of the way we feel, not only maybe physically, but a spiritual, more spiritual probably than physically. And, and basically what David was understanding, I've got to get the presence of God back home. Now I could stop right there, and if, you, if you'll just think about that a little bit and just contemplate on that right there, you'll be, you'll be edified. If you never do nothing else in life but get the presence of God back in your house, you'll accomplish something. The presence of God needs to be home with you. Now, and I know some of us, we have these images in our mind, well, I, wanna, I want to get the presence of God back in my four walls at home, and that's okay, that's fine. I want Him in my house as well. But I'm not just talking about that house. I want the presence of God in this house. You know, we've got four walls, several walls. We want God's presence here. But that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Brother Joe, David understood that I want, him, I, want, I want his presence back in Jerusalem, but more than that, I want him in me. This is, this is the house. You know the scripture. You house the temple. You're the temple. You're the temple. So what's your temple like? Is it empty? Is it void of the presence of God? Or do you need the presence of God more? Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a type of chest. It was just a box. The chest, you know, we call it an Ark of Covenant. There's several other names that it's given because in that chest, it was, there was deposited in that was two tablets of stone that had the Ten Commandments on, on these stones. The Ten Commandments, as you already know, were the terms at that point, Brother Roger, that God gave His people. This is what I want you to live by. We could, we could talk about those, those Ten Commandments, but that's not my message. We could talk about the terms. It's also called the Ark of the Testimony because in those commandments, 
It was simply God's testimony to His holiness. To His holiness. Now, you or I, we could come and we can put on a face all we want to, but God knows your house. You can deck out, you can dress up, you can do whatever you want to do, but God knows your house. God knows your house. Have you ever been told this? Well, Pastor, I, I want you to come over, but don't come over right now because my house is unclean or dirty or whatever. I need to clean it up. We've all made those statements before. From a spiritual standpoint, God knows your house. What's your house like? You can act like you've got it all together, all you want to. You can. Some of you are real good at acting. Some of us are real good at putting on this face. But if we are going to worship in the presence of the king, you better not just come before him just putting on a face. You can't do it. You can't do it. So David understood this. And in this chest there was those commandments. It was the, it was the testimony of the holiness of God. It was, it was the throne, basically, of the divine presence of God Almighty. It represented power. It represented presence. The symbol of the Lord's presence was carried by the priest. They had a certain way, Sister Carol, that they carried this Ark of the Covenant. They couldn't deviate from it. God set the standard. God gave the guidelines, and this is the way you need to do this. The Bible tells us that priests carried this Ark of the Covenant, this chest, ahead of the Israelites as they traveled. Matter of fact, the Ark was carried around somewhere around Jericho at the time of its downfall. Neighboring nations, when they watched this and they heard about these things, they looked upon this Ark of the Covenant. They looked upon this presence of God as an actual God of Israel. That's where God was. That's where you went to meet God. History tells us that the Ark was placed in a town called Shiloh until the time of Eli, the priest. And then it was carried along with the army in, in, in a hope that it would secure victory for the Israelites when they fought against the Philistines. Philistines not only defeated Israelites, according to history, but they also captured the ark. Now, I, want you, I, don't, I don't want you to miss this. The Israelites carried the ark in hopes that that chest would be what they needed to defeat the enemy. They was carrying the presence of God in hopes that... That would be used in defeating the enemy. What we miss sometimes about that is they didn't do anything themselves. They just carried the box. Now, I know this is a bad demonstration. This is not an Ark of the Covenant. This is a box of Kleenexes. But if you can imagine with me the Israelites carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the priest carrying it, ahead of them, everywhere they went. And in carrying that, they supposed, Brother Sam, that this box, that was everything that they needed to get victory in their life to defeat the enemy. I don't have to change my way. I don't have to do anything different. I don't have to 
change my mindset. I don't have to do anything. I just got to carry the box. <laughs> Boy, that's some good preaching right there. Well, the Philistines got the box. You'll go in Scripture, you'll find in 1 Samuel that they were glad to get rid of it. Why, Pastor? I mean, this was God's presence. Why was the Philistines glad to get rid of this box? Because you'll find that they suffered calamity physically. They suffered misfortune. They had all kinds of things that happened to this group of people because they did not know how to handle, y'all don't miss this, the box correctly. You might want to consider something this morning. I know you may not have come this morning wanting to get this, but let me give it to you. You might want to consider something. The presence of God in your life will work against you if you don't handle the box right. I ain't never heard that before, preacher. Go back and look at it. It happened to that whole group of people. <clears throat> if your life is surrounded or actually not surrounded, but surrendered to God, you'll handle things differently. You'll handle the box differently. Because I'm not just going to throw my box down or put it down and let things go until I meet the, meet the enemy again and go pick it back up. I'm going to treasure my box. I'm going to take care of what's mine. I'm going to handle what God has given me. And what, we're, and what God has released to some of you this morning, He handled you and He gave you a type of box, basically. He's given it to you. He's given you His anointing. And no, we don't carry around the Ark of the Covenant today in 2019. We don't do that. But you are the temple of God. And you are supposed to house the temple of the Spirit. So what are you doing? How are you, how are you handling that? What is in your life? What's, what's your temple like? What is it like? Is it, is it full of the presence of God or is it empty of the presence of God? So you may want to consider some things. The Ark of the Covenant, when you, when you look at it, it, it wasn't but just about, about, some say about 45 maybe to 50 inches long. 27 inches high, 27 inches wide. The Bible tells us it was, in, it was laid out with gold inside and out. The Bible also tells us it was not made of cedar or any of the best woods of the Holy Land, but it was made of a wood of the wilderness they called, called acacia. A simple wood of acacia. It was out of that wilderness experience, if you will, that God spoke to us when He gave us the books of the law. It was out of this wilderness experience that God demonstrated his power. He demonstrated his might. He demonstrated his awesome glory to the people of, of, of Israel. This Ark of the Covenant was constructed of that simple wood. And in that Ark, as, as we said earlier, it contained those two stones. And, and it represented the covenant between God and between man. And he remembers in the New Testament that it was a simple wooden cross, just a simple wood that God laid down his life upon, or his son laid down his life upon. And he established a new covenant between 
himself and man. And it was there on that wooden cross where the blood of Jesus Christ was sprinkled making atonement for our sins today. Thank God for that. Thank God for the cross today. Thank the Lord for that. But when you look back at the Ark of the Covenant, we sometimes refer to it, there's a mercy seat on that ark, on that box. That mercy seat was not simply just a lid to cover the, the Ten Commandments. But probably it was the most important feature in the holy place. You can go to Exodus and look at that, and Leviticus and look at about this, and the only meeting place between God and man, the, that, that mercy seat, if you will. It was a covering, a kaporeth, a covering. Not merely just on the ark, but it was a covering that God placed even upon us. It became a covering for Israel's sin when it was sprinkled with the sacrificial blood once a year when the priest went inside to take the sin of the people to God himself. Now, whether you knew this or not, it wasn't a coincidence that Christ, who the Bible refers to as our true mercy seat and place of meeting between, the, between God and man, is simply called that very same thing in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. He's the mercy seat. Look with me. Verse 21 says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement same word that's used to describe the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate justice, because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now here's the point from that scripture. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ this morning, then I don't want to scare you, but let me use these words, then you're in danger. Well, Pastor, that wasn't any good words. I, I'm, you know. Well, you need to understand it. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ this morning, then you're in danger. Why, Pastor? Because you're in danger because your sins have not been forgiven. Have not been forgiven. Why do I need a Savior? Because you need somebody to set you free. Every one of us was born into sin. I don't care where you came from. I don't care where your social status. I don't care your economic background. I don't care. If you was born with a silver spoon in your mouth or a wooden spoon in your mouth, it don't matter. Every one of us was born into sin. I was born in a preacher's home. But I still needed a Savior. You could have been born in an alcoholic's home, but you still need a Savior. You could have been born in a drug addict's home, but you still need a Savior. You could have been born to Billy Graham himself, but you still need a Savior. You need a Savior. And if, and, if, and if you don't have a Savior, then your sins have not been forgiven. Why? Because the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, it has no effect in your life unless you have Him in your life. 
You might wear a fancy cross around your neck. You might have a plastic cross sitting up on your dashboard. You might have the crucifix hanging around your mirror. Whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter. It's not going to do anything for you unless you accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. What will happen to me, Pastor, if I don't do that, then you're going to die and go to hell. Now, I know that's not politically correct today, but I'm going to say it again. You're going to die and you're going to go to hell. Hell was not created for you. It wasn't. And so there's no reason for you to go to hell this morning. There's no reason. But heaven was a place that he prepared for his people. Amen. He said, I must go away. And if I go away, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. Hallelujah. It's for you and I. And so we've got to accept him. So what's the point about this box and carrying this box, Pastor? Well, when you think about it, people all over the world, they treat Jesus like the Israelites treated the Ark of the Covenant. They carry it into battle against their enemy, thinking that if I know the name of Jesus, if I've got the cross around my neck, if I've got the cross on my dashboard, every time I get in there, everything then is going to be okay. And you're badly mistaken. Everything is going to be all right. God's going to protect me, all of these kind of things. And that's a problem that we have today. You've got that plastic Jesus on your dashboard, all these kind of things. And, and just because you think that you were baptized as babies in a certain church, that God is going to have to protect you. Just because you go to church on Easter and just because you go to church at Christmas time, that God is going to have to protect you. Just because you might put a dollar or two in the offering plate when it comes around, then God is going to have to protect you. Just because you might watch an occasional television, Christian television station every now and then, you're doing God a big favor, and then God is going to have to help you. Well, let me help you this morning. If that's the way you feel, then you're dead wrong. And you're already dead. You're like, the, you're like that show on television, The Walking Dead. You may not look like that, but that's how you're acting. We're the walking dead because until you've got Christ in your life and until you're serving him on a daily basis in faith, then you're dead in your sins. Is that okay? We're dead in our sins this morning. And if I'm going to come in the presence of God and worship him, I cannot come, Brother Roger, dead in my sins. I can't do that. He'll not accept that kind of worship. He'll not accept that kind. Just because the Israelites were defeated and the ark that was captured, let me ask you another question. Did that simply mean if, if you if you telling us, Pastor, that this ark of the covenant was a powerful thing and, and it's where the presence of God was and the mercy seat and all of that and it's not going to do no good if we don't have Christ in our heart even in the mercy seat, does, does that mean that when the ark of the covenant was, was, was captured that, that it wasn't an authentic representation of the presence of God? Oh, no. Go on and read in your scripture because when you, when you look at the Philistines, when they got this Ark of the Covenant, they placed this Ark of the Covenant inside their temple where, where their god Dagon was standing. There they was, this Ark of the Covenant and their god Dagon. That night, that Ark fell down. I mean, not the Ark, but, the, but Dagon fell down. That statue fell down. And they thought it was, well, maybe a wind come through. Maybe something, it was just a fluke. Maybe, maybe just something happened, so they stood it back up. The next day, they found out that not only had this day gone fallen, but this time it decapitated the hands 
and all the hands, all those kind of stuff was off of this, of this, of this statue. Broken. Oh yeah, that Ark of the Covenant, it was, it was authentic. And God wasn't going to allow anything else to stand in His presence that way. Be careful when you come before the Lord in worship. Be careful. So whatever happened to the ark, Pastor? It's not like the movie said. It's not in some warehouse in Washington, D.C. somewhere full of dust. It's not in a box or anything like that covered up. Anything You, you, you get on the Internet, you can find all kinds of things where, where people say, well, this is, it, this is what's happened to it, and this is this, and this is that. Wouldn't it be amazing if they discovered the Ark of the Covenant and they dug it up? That would be amazing. History tells us, and I'm a hurry in here, history tells us that it was missing, or it went missing after when they rebuilt the second temple. And it's believed, some say, to have been destroyed by fire when that first temple was burned by the Babylonians. But we don't know that for sure. But during the time of Jesus, there was no ark in the temple in Jerusalem. When you look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, and this is really our text, David became king, and he established Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And it begins to read here in verse 1, David again brought together out of the Israel chosen men 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Balak of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim and, or, or, or that, that are on the ark. And they set the ark of God on a new cart, the Bible said, and it brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was up the hill. Uzziah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating. Get this in your mind. They were worshiping, they were celebrating all of these things. With all their might before the Lord, with their songs, with their harps, with their tambourines, with, with all the cymbals, all of those things. So, well, Pastor, that sounds like a, a wonderful picture. What, what's wrong with that? What happened with all of those things that was taking place that was all of that? Well, you've got to understand they was taking care of this and moving the ark the wrong way. They were breaking the law of God by not properly handling the ark. Again, I've got the ark of the covenant. How am I treating it? I've got the presence of God. How am I treating the presence of God on Mondays? How am I treating the presence of God on Thursday and Friday and Saturday night? How, what am I doing with it? This thing that's inside my heart in this temple of mine, what am I doing with it? Am I saying things that, that maybe I don't want to have in my temple? Am I watching things that maybe I don't need to see because it's going to affect my temple? Am I doing things that it might just affect my temple? What are we doing with? What are we, what are we doing with the presence of God? So they're breaking the law of God. Number two is this. They're celebrating before the Lord. Well, what's wrong with that? I thought we were supposed to celebrate. Yeah, that's right. We are. But what was happening here was they were having a party instead of a celebration. I wasn't worshiping God. Boy, I'm celebrating because I've got the Ark of the Covenant. It was stolen from us, and now we got it back, and we're marching it back to home. And what they missed 
they had more confidence in the box than they did of the God of the box. And so often we are the same way. Same way. If we're not careful, we're so, we're so taken back by what God has given us and blessed us with, our tangible things and all of these things that we think, oh, everything is going well. God's blessed me financially. God's blessed me with a home. God's blessed me with a great family. God's blessed me with a great church. God's blessed me with great people and friends in the church and all these kind of things. And we're all right. And we miss God himself. And Brother Raines, I, I've come to understand the box is important. The box had its time. It had its moment. It's where we went to meet God. That's where the presence of God was. But the box today... If I place more emphasis on the box today than I do my God today, then I'm worshiping the box. And I don't need to worship the box. So they're having a party. Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 6, the Bible says, When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzziah reached out, and he took hold of the ark of God, because the ox stumbled. The Bible said the Lord's anger burned against Uzziah because of his irreverent act, and therefore God struck him down, and the Bible said he died right there beside the box that he was trying not to let fall. He died. Now think about this. Now I'm telling you, I, I, I don't mean to, I didn't really intend to go here this morning, but when you, when you talk about making sure that you're right when you come before the presence of God, I am so thankful today that we're not in Old Testament times. I mean, I am. Because there has been probably a few times that I would go before the presence of God and I'd have to wonder, God, are you going to kill me or not? Has anybody else been there? Because of I know how my heart has been. I know what I was involved in the past week. Hello? Brother Danny, I can't believe you said that. You was born in a preacher's home. You are supposed to be a good boy all your life. I was a pretty good boy. But I still had sin in my life. And just because I was a pretty good boy... And just because I was born in a preacher's home and all of those things did not give me a free ticket on how I'm approaching the throne of God. Now I'm fixing to help some of you here and I'm fixing to make some of you mad. You think that just because of who you are and because of your age and because of all these other things that's going on in your life that you've done this and you've been there and you've got all the t-shirts that you can come before God and you can do whatever you want to. I'm going to tell you, you better check yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. <laughs> you better check yourself because it's not okay. It's not okay. I'm, I'm, I'm threatening to turn off the cameras right now, but let me just go ahead and say this in case somebody's listening to me. And they are. I've been around preachers before. Or I've thought to myself, you better check yourself. I've been around evangelists before that I've thought to myself, you better check yourself before you get up on stage and start preaching. And then I've been around some good old, good Christian church mamas and church daddies that I've thought to myself, you better check yourself. And then... Brother Bud, I, I've even been in prayer before and I've looked at me and I said, boy, you better check yourself. That is, that's not a good attitude to have. It's not right. You need to check yourself. And it, and it takes me a little bit to work myself out of that, but I, 
got to be honest, the other day, it was one day last week. I, I'm confessing this morning. Karen and I, we was talking. I said, you know, I, I don't feel right. See, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't feel like nobody needs to come and talk to me right now because I feel like I can fuss at them and, and I would enjoy it. I mean, I'm just being truthful. I feel like that I can just enjoy just, just tell them what I think, you know. And I know some of you think, well, brother, Danny, I can't believe you. And I don't normally, I don't do that at all. That's not my nature. But that's how I was feeling, just being honest with you. And I had to check myself and say, God, you know, I, I, know, I understand we get this way. And Uzziah, he, he was trying to do the right thing, but they were doing it all wrong. The Bible said that God struck him down. And then the Bible said David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzziah. And to this day, the place is called Perez Uzziah. Verse 9 said, David, after that, was afraid of the Lord. He said, I'm afraid of the Lord. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come? To In other words, how am I going to get the ark back home if this is what's going to take place? And David had to go back. David, King David. The man after God's own heart. You know, the, you know, the boy David, the one that killed the Goliath. The, the boy David, the one that killed the, 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 the lion and the bear and all these th great things that took place in David's life. The psalmist. David said, how, how am I ever going to get it back? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David that day. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, I'm going to stop right there because there's a whole other stuff that I've got to deal with when I've got some time to deal with it. But my point, and I think the point that God is wanting us to make and understand this morning, and this was not on my, this, this was not on my thoughts this morning at all, and God just showed up, and He'd done something miraculous, in my, in my opinion, in our midst. And He is helping us not to be in a hurry when it comes to worshiping God, allow God to work the way God wants to work, Move when God wants to move. As Bridget said, step forward. That was a word from God, the step forward. Take a step of faith when it comes to God. Take a step of faith in the direction that God wants you to be on. Now, now look, I, I can't force you to this altar this morning. I can't. I can't do it, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to. I could call you by name, and some of you could come down, and we could pray for you. You'd cry some tears and all that kind of stuff. But it's not you coming. It's your just being obedient to me. That's not what's going to do it in your, in your walk with God and your faith with God. My walk with God and my faith with God has to be on me. I've got to come before God in the presence of God myself. I can't, I can't, it, it, it can't happen with anybody else. You can pray for me. And you can lift me up and I can do that to you and all of that. And that's wonderful and that's great. But when it all comes to it, Mama's not going to save me, and Daddy's not going to save me, and my sisters are not going to save me. God's going to save me. And I've got to recognize that. I've got to come before His presence the right way. I cannot bring that box, that Ark of the Covenant. I can't tote it wrong. I can't treat it wrong. Sister Pat, I've got to be careful when I come before God. Go back and look in Scripture. Anytime that you'll see where people and God showed up and people was coming in the presence of God, most of the time they fell on their face. They couldn't stand in the presence of God. Some had to turn away in a cleft of a rock. 
so God could pass by. Remember that? They couldn't stand the presence of God. And, and we think that we, we're all there at times and we've got it all figured out. And God said, no, you don't. No, you don't. You know what I find out the older I get? That I don't know nothing. I don't know anything. There was a time I thought I knew everything. There was a time I thought my daddy didn't know nothing, that my mama didn't know nothing, and I knew it all. I grew out of that thing. Well, they knew a little something after all. Now I'm getting to the place where I don't even know nothing. And they don't, and, and you know, it's all about God anymore. God, unless you go with me, unless you go with me, unless you go with me, then don't move us from here. And I'm, my prayer has been lately, and we've been talking about you know, our relationship and the presence of God and encountering God and all those kind of things over the last several weeks, actually this whole church here so far. But my prayer has been, God, as a church, if you don't go with us, then don't move us from here. I wish to God that this entire place was packed, but it's not. But here's the key. If this entire place gets packed, are you willing and are you ready to handle them? Are you ready? If a hundred extra people showed up next Sunday, are you ready to deal with it? Ushers, greeters, prayer teams, are you ready? Are you ready to give of your resources and your time to bring those people in the presence of God along with you and to allow an exuberance of praise to happen in the house? Because unless you're ready, it ain't going to happen. God knows you're, that we're not ready. He knows that you're not ready. So then what have I got to do to get ready, Pastor? Well, I've got to, be, I've got to do my due diligence, number one, and when it comes to my relationship with the Father, with the Father. What happens next Sunday if we show up and there's 500 people here? Oh, we may go out, oh, man, that was a wonderful crowd, blah, 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 blah. We may all rejoice and all that kind of thing, but who's going to disciple them? Who's going to evangelize them? Who's going to teach them what Jesus has given you to teach? Right? We'll let the preacher do it. It's not the preacher's job. Uh-uh. I've got my part, but that's not my job. We'll let the Sunday school teacher do it. No, it's not her job. It's not his job. They've got their part. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you it's your job. You are supposed to go out, testify, witness, bring them in. Bring them in. Bring family. Bring those co-workers. Bring them in. Testify. We want people to experience what we experience today. Let me ask you a question before we go. What we experienced today already at the beginning of the service, was that not wonderful? Then, then why would we not want everybody else to feel it? Why would we not want everybody else to experience what we experienced this morning? I've got to come before the presence of God. I've got to do it right. I've got to do it right. David said, I'm not willing to take it back. I'm going to put it in Obed-Edom's house. That's another, another message in itself. All the while that ark was there, Obed-Edom, you'll find that Obed-Edom treated it right. And his whole house was blessed from the moment it showed up. It's an interesting story. Go back and read it of even how it got there in the first place. But Brother Roger, all while he was there, he recognized what it was. He honored it for what it was. And his house, his entire house, his family, everything this man touched was blessed. 
Can you imagine one night King David coming up with, with 30,000 plus people saying, Hey, Obed, I want to leave the ark with you. Waking you up from the middle of a sleep saying, well, You're going to do what? But he took it. And I can just picture Obed Edom when they come back to get it. Boy, I don't really, wouldn't, I'd like for it to stay here. Yeah, man, I've been doing pretty good since this thing's been here. But he understood what was fixing to take place and he let it go. God blessed, God honored. My prayer is, God, help us to understand that. Help us to handle your presence right. Help us to handle the presence of God appropriately, not misuse it. Got to handle it pro appropriately. I want you to bow your heads real quick. This altar is still open, of course. If anybody would like to come, we, we welcome you to come. If you didn't come in the first altar call, then you're welcome to come in this altar call. But just while you sit there, I want you to contemplate some things. How is everything in your life? How's your temple? How's your temple? How's your house? Is it clean? Are you, dads, as the priest of your home, are you able to walk into that holy place that you call home and sense His presence? Are you able to take your wife, your spouse, your children and cover them as a hen would cover her chicks and pray over them? and love them, and honor them. See, you may fool some people, but you're not fooling God. You're not fooling God. How's your house? Are there some things in your life that, that you need to change? You do need to turn over to God. If that's, the, if that's it, then you need to spend a little time this morning praying. You need to spend some time maybe even asking forgiveness. You want to ask God to forgive, but you may need to ask others to forgive you. Maybe of things that you've said or things that you've thought or whatever the case may be. See, sometimes we think this sin is bigger than this one, and they're really all alike. And so if you have all against your brother or sister, you may need to take care of some things first before you come before the Lord. But when you come before Him, you need to come before Him right, the right way. Carry the box appropriately. Carry the presence appropriately. And when you do that, God will honor you and God will bless you. Father, in the name of Jesus today, you know every heart, you know every life sitting in this sanctuary today. God, I sense a, such an awesome presence of you this morning. And I don't want to ever get to the place where we don't feel that or sense that. I know it's not based upon our feeling alone, but God, I enjoy sensing your presence. I thank you for it. God, we're going to sing maybe a little bit, but while we go through this, I pray that as people are here and as they're praying, I pray that you would speak to their heart right now.
speak to their heart. Break some of those old wounds. Break some of those old thoughts, those fears. Some of those old panics that we've had in the past, those anxieties that we've dealt with. God, break those. Help us to allow your presence to come in. We need you today. We need you today. We need you. We need you, God. We don't want to go without you. We need you. So speak to hearts right now. Speak. Speak to hearts right now. Speak right now. Speak right now. In this quiet time, speak. Yes, Lord. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Speak, Lord. Let us 